Well, I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I hope you were able to see the folks you wanted to see, whether in person or on a screen or whatever. So I hope you had a great Christmas. And I hope you have a wonderful New Year. And like I prayed earlier, I can't wait until all this separation stuff is over. This is just an unnatural condition for the church, and we need to get out of it as soon as possible. Well, recently we studied two passages that discussed the cost of following Jesus. I hope those were profitable to you. I hope they showed you the real gospel and showed, made obvious the corruption of the feel-good, no-strings-attached, no-cross-involved gospel that is so popular these days. In our study today, we're going to look at Jesus sending out 70 or 72, depending on which version of the scripture you have, uh, people as missionaries. Now, let me tell you, um, some of you may have 70, some of you may have 72. Very early manuscripts uh, differed on whether it was 70 or 72. And so next time somebody tells you, man, there are just so many errors in the Bible, you can say, well, let me show you one of these glaring errors in the Bible. And you take them here and you show them this. And you say, some translations say 70 and some say 72. And you look at them like, what are we going to do? How are we going to form any decent theology with such a difference like that? Now, the original autographs, the original writings of the original apostles, of course, were perfect in every way. But if you make a copy, and then you make another copy, and you make 10,000 copies later, there are going to be inevitably some tiny, tiny little differences. And so what translators do is they go back to the earliest manuscripts they can find, And they go back to the original writings. Now, this particular one has early variations in whether it was 70 or 72. So I just brought that out to show you that uh, that is the reliability of our scriptures. Okay, If there's a question, it's that kind of question. (laughs) And it's a question where they found early manuscripts with a little bit of difference. So your Bible is incredibly reliable. Because the more manuscript evidence they find, the more precise they can come back to what the original authors wrote, which we know, because it was inspired by the Spirit, is absolutely perfect. All right, so he sent out some missionaries. Um, Before we get started, I want to tell you, when we read Scripture, when I read Scripture, I find ways in which I am deficient, all right? I learn what I'm supposed to be, I learn what I'm supposed to do, and inevitably I come up short. Now that's going to happen when you listen to preaching as well, because it comes straight from the scripture, right? So what we need to do, guys, is not go, oh man, I've, I've failed in this area, and I'm 70 years old, so you know, what's another 10 or 20 or 30 years of failing. No, no, no. Instead, let's say I've failed in this area, but now I've heard this. I've thought about this. The Spirit of God indwelling me says, hey, this is right. Let's do this from now on. Okay? So don't beat yourself up. Don't be discouraged. Instead, if there, we're going to talk about witnessing because he's sending out these people in order to share the gospel. So instead of getting down on yourself and feeling bad and going, oh, woe is me, I'm a loser, I guess I'll remain a loser. Instead, <laughs> let's say, here's what the Lord wants. Maybe I'm not doing that perfectly, 
But hey, I'm about to start doing that perfectly. You know, we come to January 1st and all of a sudden we act like it's a magical new time (laughs) that we can do something new. Well, every day is a magical new time that we can do something new. And so when we take this and we compare ourselves to Scripture, if you find yourself deficient, don't get downhearted. Just change. And as we've talked about before, you have the ability to do that because you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. Amen? All right. So who would be better at designing an evangelism strategy than Jesus? Well, nobody, right? So we're going to see what he did. Look with me in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Or you can look on the wall here. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they, re- and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Let's pray. Lord, please give us understanding of this message. And like I said, Lord, would you please encourage us to uh, continue to be conformed into the image of your Son. Lord, that's what, the, that's what the process looks like. Once we're saved, we are changed. Uh, Lord, you say come just as you are, but you can't leave just as you are because, Lord, you change us uh, as we follow you, as we listen to your word, as we obey you. So, Lord, give us the grace to see if we are lacking, and if we are lacking, give us the grace to uh, conform more to what your word says. Lord, I pray that um, this wouldn't be a time where we're getting beat up by our failures, but where we're inspired to go on to greater things. Would you make that happen as you teach us? I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look together first at the master of evangelism. Verse 1 told us that the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, we had a sermon uh, and we discussed how you can either call Jesus Lord and mean it, or you can reserve the right to say no to him. You cannot do both of those things. You have to pick one or the other. Back in Luke 6:46, Jesus asked this wonderful question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If the Lord says go, we go. Now what about when he says go and we don't go? (laughs) Because we all know the reality of the fact that that the Bible says go. The Great Commission is there. Uh, We read in 2 Corinthians 5 how we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We know this stuff. If you've been in this church for the past year, you know that's what the Bible says. But if you look around, you understand that a lot of times we don't go. Well, that's a pretty good indication, unfortunately, that he is not your Lord if you don't do what he says. 
Now, if he is not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. In other words, if you're truly born again, you will do what your Lord tells you to do. If you don't, please realize that you may need to be saved. Now, you may protest and say, you don't do everything the Lord tells you to do, and you are right. I don't. When I fail to, what I do, though, is I read and I change. And maybe I mess up, and then I change back again. Okay, it's a process. I understand that. But if you say, God wants me to make an impact on other people, he has determined that I am his representative, and he has told me to take the gospel, and I just sit back and say, nope, not doing it. In that case, you really do need to examine your salvation, okay? Most American churchgoers never share their faith. But it's also true that Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, so these are not people who came to church once when they were 12 and prayed a prayer and got baptized. These are ones who prophesied in his name, cast out demons in his name, and did many mighty works in his name. And Jesus said to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So, don't you just love this feel-good preaching? No, okay. Uh, Really, I do want you to feel good, but I want you to feel good based on the truth, not based on something else. So, uh, if you'll build your your life and your your faith on the true gospel and in obedience to Christ, rather than just listening and going, man, this is what the dude is supposed to say between 11 and 11.30... And then I can go eat lunch and not worry about it until next week. If you base your life on that, you're going to hear Jesus say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that is my greatest fear. My greatest fear is that someone that sits here week after week hearing the preaching of the word will hear that someday. If there's anything I can do about that to prevent it, I'm going to do it. Okay. So that's why we're talking about this. So hopefully we've established that the Lord gets to tell us what to do. He is the boss. He tells us what to do. Now, verse 1, he says, it says, he appointed 72. Our sovereign Lord knows what he's doing. He knows whom he is appointing and will give them the power to do what he tells them to do. Now, do you believe that? Are you with me? He appointed 72. If he appointed them, he equipped them to do what they were told, right? I think we can all agree with that. Now, consider this. He's appointed you if you are saved, if you've been reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. You probably have this memorized by now, but listen to it. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And entrusting to us, who's us? Those who have been reconciled, entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Not the preacher alone, not the super Christian, 
not the whatever, we who are saved are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So let's think about this. Now that you know that you have been appointed, do you still realize that God knows what he's doing? Now that you know that you have been appointed, do you still realize that God will equip those he appoints to do what he asked them to do? That should be encouraging. We can do this if we will just obey. Now maybe it'll help if we see the next part of the phrase. The Lord appointed 72 others. These were not the apostles. Now do you remember what apostle means, the word apostle, anybody? It means, I'm going to assume you do, but you're shy. It means sent ones, those who are sent, okay? Now, these guys were sent, and so are we, but they weren't these unique apostles that we think of in the New Testament. They weren't the guys who hung out with Jesus all the time, and Jesus handpicked 12 of them, right? They weren't the apostles. They were just average believers like you and me. Now, we can relate to these guys. When we see the apostles, we may think, well... Well, when we get a real good candid look at the apostles, we see they were just people too, right? They did dumb stuff. They argued about who was the greatest. After Jesus said, hey, I'm about to be handed over, you know, given into the hands of men. And they're arguing about which one of them is going to be greatest in the kingdom. We see that they were just people too. But these guys, these 70 or 72, weren't even the apostles. They were just regular folks like us. And they were commissioned by Jesus to go and take the message of the kingdom. Now, he sent them out two by two. It, guys, it is so much easier when you have someone you can depend on. I was reading a, uh, a book recently, I read it a couple of weeks ago, that a church planner, a friend of mine, said, hey, you ought to read this book. And it said, um, it gave priorities of how to be successful. One of, the, one of the number one, I guess the number one one was pray. But up high on the list was have somebody else that you can depend on. Because when you get discouraged, they're going to help you out of the ditch. And I thought, man, is that true? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can, how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So we see the more the better, right? If you can get somebody like-minded and encouraging, it is way easier for you to take this message out. Now let me tell you, Except for Sunday morning when I'm here preaching and Monday night when it is reserved date night with my wife. Any other time that you say, hey brother, would you help me with this? I need to go talk to my neighbor and I would just like for you to back me up. Or, hey, my cousin is in town and they are so familiar with me that they won't listen to me. But if I tell them that I want them to hear the gospel... Would you come over and, and share the gospel? Never will I refuse this request, okay? You have two if you want one. I'm here for you and will gladly go with you and encourage you in that. Now let's look at where he sent them. He sent them into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
So they were heralding the arrival of the king. They were going into town and saying, hey guys, Jesus is coming. Get ready. Uh, he'll be here next Tuesday. So let's get ready. Let's uh, hear what he has to say. And they could witness of the things that they had heard and seen him done. Now we need to operate in faith that where he sends us, he is about to come. Uh, we need to expect that God is going to work where he is sending us to work. Now we can read the stories of faithful missionaries who went to uh, wherever, China or wherever, and worked for years and years and years and years before they saw their first convert. But then, a hundred years from then, we see that now they say there are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party in China. We don't always reap those rewards quickly, but we go in faith expecting that if we plant the seeds, eventually the harvest will come in. Let's look at verse 2. It says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now we are called to be faithful laborers and to pray for more faithful laborers. Now how can we pray for laborers if we aren't being laborers ourselves? Wouldn't that be a little bit hypocritical? So there is a great reward for praying for laborers to go into the field. Because not only will God answer that. Listen, don't we want to pray in the will of God? If God said, pray for laborers, we should pray for laborers. If he says, hey, you pray for this, he, he's going to answer that, right? He's not going to tell you to pray for something he's not going to answer. So pray for laborers and then be a laborer. We'll make disciples who make disciples. That's the plan. Those are the Lord's marching orders. Now, here comes the bad thing about listening to a sermon. You get to decide whether you're going to obey this or not. Um, if, there's, if there's just information being sent out, that's profitable. We need to know what the Bible says. But what is much more profitable is if we have truth presented to us and then we go, all right, we've got to decide what to do with this. We get to sit here and say, are we going to take the gospel to people like we're commanded to do? Or are we going to say, mm, this is getting uncomfortable, I'm going to check Facebook, right? We get to decide whether or not we're going to obey this. So let me encourage you to feel that burden and then act upon it. All right, so he talks about the harvest. To put this in perspective, let's look at a parable that Jesus told about the harvest. In Matthew 13... 24 through 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Folks, the harvest is serious business. 
Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, gather the weeds first. Obviously, those are the lost people. And what happens to them? In bundles to be burned. Okay? Hell is real, guys. And we got to realize that. And that has to motivate us to be compassionate enough to take the gospel to folks. Guys, don't be like Jonah. (laughs) Remember we talked about how Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He said, I don't want to go there because I know how you are, God. You're going to be compassionate on these people. And they don't deserve it. Well, Jonah was right. They didn't deserve it, but neither do we, right? So let's be grateful that we get what we don't deserve and let's take it to other people because we have some compassion. Now we looked at the master of evangelism. Let's look at the method of evangelism in Luke 10, 3 through 11. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Unlike many who claim to speak for Jesus, Jesus never says that following him will be easy. In verse 3, he says, Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. All right, do you know what happens when lambs hang out with wolves? It's it's not easy for the lambs. It doesn't go well for them. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. Jesus wants what's best for you, but not what's easiest for you. Verse 4 tells us that we are to be on mission. It says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. We We aren't going out as sightseers or tourists We're to keep our eyes on the goal, share the message of the gospel. Now, this particular assignment was a short-term mission trip, not normal everyday life. But we know that we can easily be distracted from our mission. We just can't let that happen. Now, people have to make a living. They have to raise children. They have to care for loved ones. One of the benefits of the weird road that the Lord has taken me to preaching is that there were years between college and entering the ministry where I worked a job, a commission job. And when you work on commission, if you're at work, you're feeling like, man, I've been here forever. I've spent too many hours here. I'm neglecting my family. And when you're at home, you're like, man, I need to be working so I can make some money. (laughs) Okay. So I understand. I've been there. Uh, So I get it that you have other responsibilities. But we can either do those things with an eye out for opportunities to serve God and advance his kingdom, or we can let the mission fall to the back burner and just not worry about it. So let's be careful not to be distracted. Now, we don't want to be like the soil in the parable of the soil that describes people's, people who are distracted by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. You know, we Americans who have all kind of stuff... Uh, it's real easy for us to be distracted. As a matter of fact, that's kind of what we do. You know, we were talking earlier about how you go home. (laughs) Maybe you don't, but a lot of people go home, 
close the door, lock everything up, don't want to be disturbed, and sit down and watch Netflix. They, they entertain themselves. They just make sure that they are amused. You know what amused means? Ah means not. Muse means think. Okay, so we Americans love to amuse ourselves, right? We like to do something that will keep us from thinking. And uh, instead, we need to be thinking intentionally on mission. I'm not saying you don't need to watch Netflix occasionally. I'm just saying we don't need to isolate to the point that we forget about the mission because we're distracted by the pleasures and riches of life. Jesus lays out for us an interesting and wise strategy in the next few verses about how to go about our business. In verses 5 through 8, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Now, uh, he's not saying that we need to knock on somebody's door or say, hey, can I come in and walk in and say, peace be to this house, right? Okay, he's not saying that. He's saying, go and see who is receptive to your message. Allow me to refer back again to the parable of the soils. When we find good soil, we are to stay there and invest in the people who are willing to receive the gospel. Now, we can pray for unprepared soil, but we can't change that soil. That's God's business. So, yeah, we pray for the unprepared soil, but we invest our time in the good, receptive soil. We need to find sons and daughters of peace where God is at work. Now, how do we find them? That's the key here, guys. We liberally, liberally sow the seed of the gospel. If you talk to one person per year and invest in that person, and they are hard soil, you are going to become very frustrated. And you're going to say, this doesn't work. People aren't listening to me. I apparently don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm just frustrated. But instead, if we liberally sow the seed of the gospel, eventually we will come across somebody who is a son or daughter of peace, as described here, that is willing to listen, and we can stop, and we can invest our efforts there. So we invite people. We talk to people. For the most part, as a matter of fact, almost always, people who say they're willing to come and participate and listen and they don't come, they'll continue to string you along and be a great source of frustration. Instead, let's seek out those who are actually interested in having authentic gospel community and disciple them. Now let me say a word here about money and the gospel because Jesus does. In verse 4, Jesus says, do not take a money bag. In verse 7, Jesus says the laborer deserves his wages and encourages his followers to eat and drink what is offered. So we see from other parts of the Bible and from this that it is right for those who live by the gospel to make their living by the gospel. But it's not okay for charlatans to try to use religion to become rich. Ministers of the gospel are not to try and climb the corporate ladder, so to speak. A pastor's goal should be more, to be more effective this year than he was last year. Now, sometimes that means moving to a bigger church. I'm not saying that people who move to a bigger church are evil or wrong or miss their calling or materialistic or anything else because God is the boss and he gets to send people where he wants to send them. 
But it certainly doesn't always mean to have more influence, you need to go to a bigger church. Now, what it means for me is constantly asking God to use me in whatever way will be most useful to him. Now, I'm not getting any younger, and neither are you. Let's do all we can do to be useful while we have time. You won't be able to serve God as an evangelist in the next life. Do you realize that? The gospel conversations that we have, the evangelism that we do is done here and now, or it's not done at all. Now, we're going to get to worship and praise God for all eternity. We're going to get to discuss the glories of God for all eternity. The one thing we won't do is evangelize. So if he told us to do it, and you know that he did, we got to do it now. We can't wait. Verses 8 through 11 tell us what Jesus told them to do and say. Now, this is going to sound familiar because we've heard it before, because Jesus tells his followers to do the same thing. In verse 9, he says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, you may say, well, hang on, you said we could relate to these guys. Well, we can. He gave them the gift of healing, okay, that we don't have, that was an apostolic era kind of gift, but minister to them. All right, so he says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So he sent them out to minister to people and proclaim the gospel. Now notice with me the message they proclaimed. The kingdom of God is here. And they have to choose what they're going to do with it. They either receive it or they reject it. Now eventually they're confronted with the gospel. Now we love folks for, to be here who have questions. So if you want to bring somebody and they're not a believer, that's awesome. Bring them. Uh, If they'll come with you, then they have at least enough interest to come and hear me out, right? So bring them. We welcome them. We don't judge them. We don't think, man, you ought to already be a believer. We're really glad they're here. But eventually, they have to be confronted with the gospel. Now, we don't want folks to, uh, to make quick decisions. We don't want them to make emotionally based decisions. We have talked about how when Jesus witnessed, he said, count the cost. So if people with questions come here, we want to present the gospel to them, tell them, yay, you count the cost and you decide what you want to do. But we need to let them know that following Jesus is a decision that you either do it or you don't do it. You say, well, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to say no. I just want to put it off. Well, that's the same thing as not doing it, right? I mean, it ends the same way. They've rejected Jesus. So these guys that were going out in front of Jesus were proclaiming the kingdom and saying, guys, pick a side. People belong to one kingdom or the other. In Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we're in one kingdom or the other. There's no neutral territory. We can't be Switzerland. We've got to be in one of the two kingdoms. We're either in the domain of darkness or we have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Romans 6, 16 through 18 tells us the same kind of thing. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? All right. So he says, we're slaves either way, either of sin, which leads to death, 
or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So do you see the point? We're in one kingdom or the other. We're enslaved either to Satan or we're enslaved to God. And I know folks don't want to be enslaved. They say, no, nah, I want to pick some neutral territory. There's not any neutral territory. You can be free to sin in this kingdom, or you can be free to pursue righteousness in this other kingdom. Now let's talk about the motivation for evangelism. The first is love God. The second is love people. Now guys, we don't evangelize because of a lack of love, not a lack of training or know-how. Uh, again, don't feel beat up. Just realize the truth and deal with it. All right. It's not that we don't know enough. If you've been saved, you know how you got saved, right? Uh, if you want more training, we, I am happy, deliriously happy to give you more training. Okay. So it's not a lack of training that keeps us from evangelizing. It is a lack of love. Now, we can do one of two things with that truth. Well, three things. One, we can deny it, but that's silly because it's true. Okay, so the other thing is we can let it beat us up and make us feel bad. Or the, the good thing we can do with it is say, that is true, and that's incoherent with my belief system. Therefore, I'm going to do something different. And today's a new day. <laughs> January 1st is a new year. You can say, all right, yes, I'm not sharing the gospel. And if you're saying, I'm not sharing the gospel because of COVID, all right, cool, that'll be over. This too shall end, right? So if you say, I'm not sharing the gospel, I'm going to start, that's awesome. Don't be beat up, be encouraged. I promise you, if I am alive and here, I will do anything you want me to do to help equip you if you're not equipped, okay? Now, what we need to do is leverage our home or our apartment or our dormitory room for the kingdom. We need to have people in, and you're saying COVID. I know, just, it's okay. Wait till after COVID. We need to have people in. We need to become friends with them. We need to build bridges so that the gospel can cross that bridge. I was talking to one of my daughters last night about gospel conversations at school, and she said almost all of them or all of them happened in her dorm room because they invited people in. She rooms with a believer they use their dorm to build relationships to get the gospel across. That's what we need to do in our apartments, in our homes. What about work? Guys, we work with people, uh, very likely, that aren't believers. I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> okay. uh, I work with Miss Pat and Mr. Jimmy and uh, Catherine, and they're all believers. But most of us work in a place uh, who do work where there are unbelievers. We can use that to get the gospel message to them. Now, I'm not saying you own company time. You say, well, I'm not going to work. I'm going to sit here and have a gospel conversation. But you can, make, you can build those relationships, again, that build bridges for the gospel. Friends and family relationships. Uh, guys, I've heard over and over that it's real difficult to witness to your family, and I'm not totally sure why, because I, I have witnessed to my family. Um, you may say, well, because they know I used to be whatever you used to be. That's actually a great testimony. 
<laughs> you know, if you used to act like a nut when you were young and they say, man, I'm not going to listen to you. Then you say to them, hey, look what God has done in my life. And that actually adds to your testimony, right? How about your recreational time? You know, take a buddy out golfing or tennis or whatever you do for fun and have, take them to coffee afterward and have a gospel conversation with them. 2020 was not the best time for this. And I, I get it. It was hard for me to do. One of the requirements for my scholarship is have a gospel conference, have a witnessing event every single week with somebody. Now, that's something I want to do anyway, and it's not a burdensome thing. But in 2020, it was kind of burdensome because I wasn't seeing anybody. Nobody was coming to the office. Uh, nobody would come to your house for small group. I mean, it was just, it was very hard to do that. And I understand. I was there too. But now is the time for you to determine what you'll do going forward. So when we're all normal again, decide, hey, I'm going to use these things. I'm going to leverage these things that I have, these things that I do, and the remaining time I have in this life to accomplish this goal that the Lord has told me to do. So all I'm asking you to do is live on mission. Guys, we could get together on Tuesday night up here and we could go out and knock on doors. But let me tell you, far more effective is you talking to people that you deal with daily anyway. When you go to the hair salon, when you go to play golf, when you go uh, to work, when you go to school, if you'll take those opportunities to build a little bit of relationship so they listen to you, Guys, if I thought standing in a square in downtown Laurel and having a PA system and preaching the gospel would be effective, we'd do it. What I know is effective is when you go to people who like you and trust you and think highly of you and you share the gospel with them. Or if you really are petrified and you're like, I don't know what to say, then, then you use your credibility and vouch for me and call me and say, hey, I want you to listen to what this guy says and we'll do it that way. We'll do it however you want to do it. But let's live with purpose. Uh, guys, I'm only 49, and I was 49 a few days ago. And uh, so I don't, you know, assuming I don't have a car wreck or anything exciting happened, uh, I probably have several years left. But I can't stand to waste those years. And I don't want any of us to, whether you're 18 or 20 or 88. So let me encourage you to think about this. Go home and ponder it a little bit and say, man, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to remember me when I'm gone. I don't really care. But what I do know is I want to make an impact. I want to make the kind of impact that will last into eternity. If you want that, you can have that. So let me encourage you to live on mission. My job is to help you do that. So if you're sitting here today and you say, I need a little more training, you come tell me, we will do it. If you say, hey, you know how you said two are better than one and one can pick them up and encourage? I want you to go with me and help me share my faith. I will do that. And we'll do it joyfully. And you'll see that it's not scary and it is fun. And some of you may be saying, no, it's scary. You'll be surprised. (laughs) It's really not that scary.